Hawaii for Sunday, February 18th, 2007. Aloha kako and mahalo for tuning in to Hawaii Up, my little podcast from paradise. My name is Ryan, and uh, I'm a happy husband and silly father of three coming at you from the suburban enclave of Mililani in central Oahu. It's a little rainy and wet and cold, but uh, frankly, it's tough to complain because it's also a lovely long weekend. And, you know, it's Hawaii. I should also wish you all a kung hi fa choy, a happy Chinese New Year. It is now the year of the pig, or of the boar, and in fact it is the year of the golden pig, supposedly a special year that only comes around every 600 years or so. Uh, kids born this year are so fortunate that uh, apparently China and Korea are expecting a baby boom of sorts. If you believe in this sort of thing, then I guess this is about the time you're going to want to get busy. Speaking of which, uh, Valentine's Day was this week, and uh, Jen and I celebrated by going to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Of course, no special holiday is complete without a big hunk of meat. And I gotta say, I think Jen's in love. I think we've started a rather expensive tradition now. And uh, my other Valentine, Katie and I, had a special day together uh, this weekend. I took her to the zoo, but believe it or not, she's going to tell you all about it herself in just a little bit. Also in today's show, some DVD picks, and as always, a couple of sweet songs to sway to. But uh, first and foremost, let's jump into the headlines. First up, it's... Hawaii Up Headlines, around Hawaii and around the house. It has been a distressingly deadly year so far for pedestrians on Oahu. So far this year, Honolulu has seen a deadly pedestrian accident almost every week, with seven deaths so far, six of them elderly. The overall number of pedestrian accidents is also alarming. Honolulu already sees an upsetting one accident a day on average, but there were three separate accidents in one day earlier this week. Recent headlines about young children being struck are also becoming too familiar. Considering that there were 20 fatal pedestrian accidents in all of 2006, a number that city officials already declared unacceptable, it's upsetting to know that we could be on track to double that if things don't change soon. The city has effectively declared a pedestrian safety crisis. Honolulu police have initiated a large-scale crackdown, starting with warnings citing both drivers and pedestrians for breaking the law. Drivers who don't stop for pedestrians face fines of at least $97, and pedestrians who jaywalk can be fined up to $80. Lawmakers, meanwhile, are scrambling to find other solutions. Even after last year's passage of an aggressive new crosswalk law, groups like AARP continue to publish studies that show Honolulu streets are among the deadliest in the nation, especially for the elderly. Legislators are putting another $200,000 towards installing crossing signals with countdown timers that show how many seconds remain before the light turns red. They're also considering lengthening crossing times and lengthening yellow lights, a measure that has proven helpful in other cities. They're even taking another look at red light cameras at intersections, an idea that was previously tossed out along with the controversial fan cams, which were deployed by the state to catch speeders a few years ago. With Honolulu roads becoming so dangerous, it seems that no idea will be ruled out. 
Speaking of all too familiar headlines, another public school teacher has been arrested and charged this week with drug trafficking. A Kailua woman who taught math and reading at Kaele Pupu Elementary School for over five years was arrested on Tuesday after accepting a UPS package that she thought contained over two pounds of cocaine and almost a thousand ecstasy tablets. The package, which was shipped from California by a Wahiava man who has also been charged, was intercepted by federal investigators. The drugs, which were stuffed in a toaster oven along with a crudely worded Valentine's Day card, were replaced with a tracking device. 38-year-old Bronwyn Kugel signed for the box and was then arrested. She's been placed on unpaid leave by the Department of Education. Federal investigators say that drug paraphernalia and a gun were found in her home and that Kugel admitted to expecting the drug shipment and to being an addict herself. Kugel's arrest will no doubt revive recent calls for mandatory random drug testing of all public school teachers. The idea already gathered steam after two Mililani middle school teachers were arrested for smoking marijuana in a parking lot before reporting to work. And in December, a Lelehua high school teacher pled guilty for selling ice, something prosecutors said he sometimes did on school grounds, albeit not to students. DOE spokesman Greg Knudsen expressed shock that yet another teacher was facing drug charges, and even U.S. Attorney Greg Kubo said that Kugel's arrest is, quote, not a reflection of the overwhelming number of educators in our state who work hard to ensure our children are educated, unquote. The DOE strenuously opposes mandatory drug testing, instead hoping that school principals be empowered to demand drug tests of teachers when drug use is suspected. But a bill has been introduced at the Capitol to test all teachers, and to even things up, the bill also would test all elected officials. Dwayne Dog Chapman, the internationally famous or infamous bounty hunter, got some bad news from a Mexico court this week. A Mexican court official said that the federal district court in Guadalajara will reject Chapman's request for a temporary injunction, which would supposedly clear the way for him to be extradited across the border. Chapman's attorney says, however, that the official ruling won't be announced until this week, and that when that happens, another appeal will be filed, effectively prolonging the waiting game and preventing extradition for now. The 53-year-old Chapman has been charged in the Mexican courts for deprivation of liberty or kidnapping, basically stemming from his high-profile capture of convicted rapist Andrew Luster in 2003. Bounty hunting is illegal in Mexico, and no doubt the Mexican government took issue with Chapman capturing a fugitive that they could not or would not catch themselves. In addition to Chapman, Mexican authorities seek to prosecute his son Leland and his Hanai brother Tim Chapman, no blood relation. The international battle has spurred a passionate defense from Chapman's many fans around the world who are just as critical of the U.S. government's reluctance to intercede as they are of Mexico's case. Since September, Chapman has been free on $300,000 bail, and after some approved travel out of state, he's back here in Hawaii, catching and preaching to bail jumpers for his top-rated reality TV show on the Discovery Channel. Another larger-than-life celebrity will soon be immortalized with a bronze statue in Honolulu. TV Land, part of the MTV network, has donated a statue of Elvis Presley to the city. It will be placed in front of the Neil Blaisdell Center in July to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the King's death. It was at the center that Elvis filmed his famous Aloha from Hawaii concert in 1973. The concert, which has gone platinum five times over, also made history as the first concert to be seen live around the world via satellite technology. 
The king has, in fact, had a lifelong connection to the islands, from his film, Blue Hawaii, to a performance to benefit the construction of the USS Arizona Memorial in 1961. Honolulu Mayor Mufi Hanneman, himself prone to crooning in front of a crowd, said in a statement that Elvis will, quote, forever remain a part of Hawaii's identity, unquote. You know, you never know what local news story will somehow catch fire in the world press, and this week it was all about a squirrel. Yes, a squirrel, an eastern gray squirrel, in fact, that apparently stowed away aboard an American Airlines flight from Tokyo to Dallas. The crew diverted to Honolulu after hearing the creature scampering about in an overhead compartment, and an airline spokesman said that they were concerned that the squirrel would endanger the flight by chewing through electrical wiring or something. Both state and federal agricultural officials boarded the plane when it landed in Honolulu and eventually captured it with traps. Squirrels are, of course, nothing unusual in North America, let alone parts of Europe and Africa, but they are illegal in Hawaii. Given the state's serious paranoia over a rabies outbreak, the squirrel was put to death. Well, that sad end to the squirrel's remarkable journey has sparked a bit of a storm of protest among animal lovers, and the state says that it has heard from people around the world. Ironically, a Star Bulletin article noted, the creature's fate may have been more promising had it been a snake. Unlike squirrels, which are pretty common, the state sometimes finds some exotic snakes aboard airplanes, in which case they're sometimes offered and transferred to zoos or sanctuaries on the mainland. Unfortunately, no such luck for this squirrel. Finally today, a couple of music headlines. First, Kealii Rachel's 1994 debut album, Kawai Punohele, has been officially certified as a gold record, having sold more than half a million copies since its release 12 years ago. The RIAA certified it gold in November, actually, but Rachel only received the trophy a few days ago at a Maui concert. He now joins Don Ho and Israel Kamakaviva Ole as the only Hawaii recording artists to cross that threshold. Israel, by the way, is the only one to make it all the way to platinum status, with over a million copies of his Facing Future albums sold. Secondly, in New Ho Mele, the winner of the third Grammy Award for Best Hawaiian Music Album was announced this week, and for the third time it was a compilation of slack key tracks. Legends of Hawaiian Slack Key Guitar took the top honor over other nominees Amy Hanayali'i, Ledward Ka'apana, Henry Kapono, and another Slack Key compilation. You know, it's pretty evident that Grammy voters love their Slack Key guitar, or at least know it better than other styles of Hawaiian music. But like last year, many in the local music community are dismayed somewhat that Slack Key has so plainly dominated. Perhaps the nuances of the Hawaiian language or perhaps experimental albums like Kapono's were just too intimidating. Star Bulletin columnist Gary Chun perhaps expressed the sentiment best when he wrote, It's understandable that the state as a whole would want to make nice and show a united front to the mainland music industry, but those who understand Hawaii's rich musical heritage need to help show that the islands have more to offer musically than slack key, no matter how easy that genre is to market to the world. And now for our report of what's going on around the house, we turn to our special correspondent in the field, Katie. Hi. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. So, tell me, what's going on around the house? I, I went to the zoo because I'm, I'm supposed to win a, some kind of animal patch for um, Brownie Girl Scouts. Brownie Girl Scouts. So, that was today? Yeah. And uh, did you like going to the zoo? Yes. I actually don't go often. Yeah. Why is that? 
because my mom is afraid of the peacocks. <laughs> and why is mom afraid of the peacocks? <laughs> She's afraid that it'll peck her eye out, take her away, and eat her. <laughs> That's right. And we don't want that. So, <laughs> no. So I, the dad, took you to the Girl Scouts uh, outing at the zoo. So what did you do? I'm supposed to learn about the animals mm-hmm. there, like a flamingo peacocks. <laughs> Any other animals? Yes, a gorilla, orangutan, lizards. Lizards are good. Yeah. Even though even though it was Girl Scouts and you're a boy. Yes, I, I did realize that, but yeah. we had a good time. Yeah. So what was your favorite animal in addition to the peacocks? Flamingos. What's so great about flamingos? Because it's so cool because they can stand on one leg for 10 days. Wow. Straight. Wow. Can you stand on, on one leg for 10 days? Barely 10 seconds. Oh, wow. So they are pretty talented. Yeah. So uh, you're going to get a badge for this in the Girl Scouts for animals. Yes. You like being a Girl Scout? Yeah. How long have you been a Girl Scout? About, I'd say half a year. Yeah, and uh, you're a brownie now. Yes, even though I'm nine. What does that mean? I'm supposed to be a junior. Oh, okay. So this is probably your last year as a brownie, but uh, you've been having fun. Yes, I have. Making great friends? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, there, yeah. there, there's actually this new girl um, called Melanie. Mm-hmm. You like her? Yeah. She really likes me. That's great. So let's uh, move on to your brothers. Let's start with Zach. What's going on with Zach? He went to Chinatown. Mm, Why did he go to Chinatown? For his school field trip. Mm-hmm. He went to this bank. Oh, yes. Um. In Chinatown. Yeah, for a Chinese New Year uh, display, I think they yeah. have there. Yeah, on uh, in North King Street, there's a there's a yeah. little bank that does sort of a Chinese New Year display. Yeah. So do you see that? Uh, I think so. Mm-hmm. Did he see anything else? Yes. What? Um, my grandmother. That's right. Grandma works at that same bank, so that yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah. And does he have another field trip coming up? He's been talking about it, I think. Yes. Where's he going? The zoo. Oh, so he's going to see the peacocks. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing that mom isn't there. Or she'll That's freak right. out. Oh, boy. She's going to love hearing us talk about the peacocks. <laughs> All right. And uh, for your last uh, report, let's move on to Alex. What's going on with Alex? Um, Alex is going to um, stop breastfeeding. Oh, yes. He's going to be weaned. Yes. Do weaned. you suppose he's going to like that? Uh-uh. No, not at all, huh? Mm-mm. So things will be kind of exciting here this week, I yeah. think. Yeah. All right. Any other news you'd like to report? Yes. Oh, what? I, on Wednesday, I'm actually going to have a jump rope for heart. Jump rope for heart. Uh, what's all that about? Well, it's um, a day where you jump rope for the whole morning. Wow. And, and what is that to benefit? It's to show how... The people with diabetes or heart disease can exercise to save their life. Wow. So exercise is good, huh? Yes. Do you get enough exercise, you think? Yes. I always play with my friends. Yeah, very good. Except when I'm sick. Well, but are you sick? No. (laughs) All right. All right. So jump rope for heart on Wednesday. That'll be a big thing, I think. Yeah, but can I tell you a secret? Mm Mm-hmm. I actually don't really know how much to jump rope. Oh, that's okay. You'll figure it out. It's for a good cause, so as long as you get exercise, that's what matters. that's true. (laughs) All right, Katie. Well, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. 
Once again, that was Special Correspondent Katie reporting live from the den for Hawaii Up. And now on Hawaii Up, it's time for some music. Now, I've said many times before that I like to highlight to showcase all the many flavors of music that come out of the islands. Certainly, we've heard some great slack key artistry right here on the show, but we've also heard everything from heavy metal to rockabilly to, to well, everything. And a little bit of everything is exactly what you'll get from Wilfred N. and the Grown Men. They're a band that came together in 1984 with a 12-inch vinyl debut recorded in a basement. Singer-songwriter Wilfred Kozub leads the group with guitarist and musical mad scientist Jamie Philp. And it's Philp that gives the band its unique Hawaiian-seasoned sound. Jamie had fallen in love with Hawaiian music during a trip to Maui with his wife Brenda about a decade ago and has since studied ukulele, slack key, and the Hawaiian language intently ever since. Jamie and his colleagues are spreading the aloha with ukulele classes and performances up in Edmonton, Canada. You can hear much of Jamie's love of the Hawaiian music uh, sound and slack key throughout the latest double album out of Wilfred N. and the Grown Men called Waiting for Luck to Come. And so here for your listening enjoyment, the title track off that eclectic, colorful collection. Enjoy.
for Luck to Come, the title track off the latest two-CD album by Wilfred N. and the Grown Men. They're a hard-to-classify, impossible-to-resist band in Edmonton, Canada, apparently home to a surprising number of Hawaiian and Polynesian artists and appreciators. You can find out more about the band at its MySpace profile, myspace.com slash Wilfred N. and the Grown Men, and on their website at wilfredn.com. And of course, I'll have those links for you in the show notes at hawaiiup.com. Now it's time to check in with one hot mama. Let's give it up for... The Pith of Pop, the podcast edition with my beautiful wife, Jen. Oh, weird. I am weird. Thanks for joining us, Jen. Hi. So, what do you want to talk about today? Movies. Movies. Uh, our latest Netflix picks. Mm-hmm. Okay, what have we got uh, up? This film is not yet rated. Uh, yes. Thank you for smoking mm-hmm. and The Illusionist. All right, so kind of a, a documentary, a mockumentary, or I don't know, a satire, I guess, and yeah. a conventional uh, good old-fashioned drama. Well, let's start with This Film Is Not Yet Rated. Uh, what's it about? It's a documentary about the rating system in mm-hmm. America, the, the MPAA. MPAA. And uh, it's by who? Kirby Dick. Right. He's the writer, director, and there are a lot of really good... Uh, in-depth interviews with filmmakers also about it. It pre- presents the the kind of the filmmaker side of the story. Mm-hmm. And he attempts to get some answers from the MPAA, but ultimately they don't stick up for themselves. They don't, they don't give us any answers. So it ends up being a little bit one-sided. Well, that was, I, I think that, you know, it was sort of the uh, Michael Moore brand of documentary, which right, is there, right. there is no attempt to be, even-handed here. It was definitely Kirby Dick had an agenda, and it was... It, I think he was in it a bit too much as far as that goes. I didn't think so. I think he really wanted to make something a little bit more even-handed, but he ended up, out of necessity, having to do something very one-sided because... Yeah, I think he, he, he seemed to have been driven by frustration to be more provocative. Right. Basically, the MPAA decides the ratings of films, and it's a quote-unquote volunteer organization, volunteer rating system, but uh, the people that rate the movies are anonymous, and the effect of the ratings, although they say it's not censorship, uh, in the commercial marketplace basically equal that, because if you get an NC-17 rating... Right, it's the kiss of death. They're not going to show your movie. They're right. not going to promote it. You won't see ads for it. So, you know, you're 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 basically having to market this film without um the aid of media. Right. So, uh he basically tries at first to kind of uh, explain the problems with that. I think of course the most common uh point that he makes is that uh, apparently the MPAA has no problem with violence, but it does with sex. And not just sex, but specifically anything <laughs> but the missionary unconventional, right. right. Unconventional same sex uh things like that. Um there is a lot of uh NC17 stuff in the film. You don't want to watch this film in front of your parents no not uh, not a film for the family viewing um, although I guess that's the point but you it's all about whether or not you have the choice um, so I but I have to say I was like uh, you know three thirty seconds into it and there's a great deal of stuff on the screen that I was not expecting to see but uh, he makes his point very well on that score the other thing of course is that the ratings board is an anonymous group of quote-unquote parents right which, as he finds out, is not entirely true. Right. I mean, you're talking about people with kids in their 20s. Right. And they're also very wealthy and tend to be very conservative. Yeah, the whole point being that they're representative of average Americans, but they're not. Right, exactly. 
So there are actually very good interviews with, um, like I said, with filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith has a very funny bit. Right, he does. Uh, and uh, also Ar- Darren Aronofsky was in here mm-hmm. as well. He was the, the guy behind Pi. Right. And uh, he didn't look at all like I thought he would. No, no. He's he's very young and, and almost kind of cute. And kind of normal. I mean, yeah. I was convinced he'd kind of look like uh, some kind of strung out crack addict or something <laughs> because of the kind of films that he makes. But uh, nope, he looked pretty normal. I think that the actual interviews with actual filmmakers that have come up against the effect of the, the rating system, that was the best part of the film. Yeah, it was, definitely. Because you can really sense their frustration at having their art judged by people that aren't that clearly don't get what they're trying to achieve or in fact uh, if they do they don't want that message getting out right i I did want to mention that one of the uh, directors that uh, is interviewed is john waters yeah he's great actually if um you watch the deleted scenes he actually has a very funny uh bit with kevin smith Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The thing about the, the John Waters is that uh, he had a lot of biting things to say. He's certainly someone who's clearly run up against the rating system. But he's times. very articulate about it. You know, he has a lot to say, but he um, he comes across as really intelligent and articulate also. Yeah, I mean, I liked him his interviews more than I, I've liked his movies. But <laughs> uh, I think I respect him more now that I, I've seen him behind the camera a little. Um, the last section of the film kind of talks about the appeals process. Because when your film does get a rating you don't like, you supposedly can appeal to get it changed. Well, you can supposedly, but ultimately most of the filmmakers fail because the process is very strict. You go in and you don't, you know, the filmmakers don't know the identities of anybody Mm -hmm. they're talking to. They're not allowed to ask certain questions. They're not allowed to compare the scenes, the objectionable scenes in their films to scenes in other films. Right. I mean, I thought that was one of the biggest problems, which is, you know, precedent is a big part of any legal argument. But right. in this environment, you cannot say, hey, wait a minute, you know, Ghostbusters 2 could blankety blank, but why can't I blankety blank? That's right. totally verboten. Right. So um, it's basically futile to, to fight the system. Ultimately, most appeals are denied. So, you know, it's it's stacked against the filmmaker from yeah, the beginning. Yeah. So, but, you know, I think that uh, it is a very important film to see if you like movies, definitely, to see what... Any is... movie fan needs to see it yeah. because it really gives you an idea of what kind of things filmmakers have to deal with. Yeah, and almost how arbitrary the rating system is and oh, how totally worthless arbitrary. it might be. And uh, you should just make your own choices as adults and choose what you want to see, you know, completely independent of this supposedly volunteer rating system. Uh, our second film is Thank You for Smoking. It's a parody uh, of sorts. It's about um, the tobacco industry and politics and culture. Definitely a satire. Definitely a satire. It stars Aaron Eckhart from The Core mm-hmm. um, as a tobacco lobbyist who uh, is facing disapproval from uh, family members and the public. The and- public. And, you know, he has to be a good role model for his son. But he's doing something that, you know, most people don't really approve of. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a lot about the uh, tobacco angle and how it might have may or may not have been tongue in cheek, you know, making a case for tobacco. But I really think that uh, the point of the film was about the choices that he had to make to do something objectionable, to be evil, because one, he was good at it. And, and two, he had to pay the mortgage, right, as, as he, he said. And he had, he had, you know, it's a, it's a role that somebody has to do. So why not him? So I thought uh, I enjoyed the film for the most part. I, th- I liked it. I thought Aaron Eckhart was really good because he looks like an every guy. He, mm-hmm. he looks like 
um, somebody who would be in that position, and he was really believable as Nick Naylor, the tobacco lobbyist. And there were a lot of uh, other familiar faces, good actors in uh, making appearances in this film. Maria Bello, who plays mm-hmm. an alcohol lobbyist. Um, J.K. Simmons, also known as Skoda from Law & Order, <laughs> plays um, Naylor's boss. Katie Holmes is in this film. Oh, yes. Um. Yeah. Lots of lots of hey, it's that guy, guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought Maria Bella was was a great character as well. She's only in a few scenes, but yeah, she's in a few scenes. Um, Nick meets um with lunch occasionally with other lobbyists. Two There's other people a, right. in the same position that everyone hates. Them. Right, a gun lobbyist and an alcohol lobbyist. Right. And Maria Bello is very funny as the alcohol lobbyist. Mm-hmm. She steals the. I think she steals the scenes that she's in. And Rob Lowe is in this film. Yeah, he's really funny. He has a really good sense of satire. I think because I I like him in this movie and I really liked him in the Austin Powers movies mm-hmm. too. He um he plays a Hollywood type and he's really funny also. Right, right. I mean he he basically it's for the money too and he goes hey we can help you make uh, smoking glamorous in films again but uh, speaking of Hollywood though what do you think about Katie Holmes okay apart okay just gossip columns aside <laughs> ignoring all the stuff that they're saying in gossip columns I really don't think Katie Holmes is much of an actress no I mean really this film was supposed to be a biting satire and Katie Holmes is a big puffy marshmallow it just she's and she's supposed to play a journalist for crying out loud who could fall for that well she's supposed to play a, a siren you know a really sexy vampy reporter that can get a guy to say anything and to me she's she still looks like she's 22 years old and you know I, I don't think that she had the the edginess that maybe somebody like Catherine Zeta-Jones yeah. would have brought to it. The character had to at least be a little older, I think. Yeah. And, you know, again, she, she was just too soft. And I mean, already the scenario that she gets involved with is completely impro- implausible and I think the weakest part of the film. But because it was her, it was even worse. Um, I, 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 I think I would have enjoyed the film a, a little bit more if it was just a little more meaner. Yeah, I was looking for something more biting, something with more pointed criticism mm-hmm. at, at either side. But as it was, I kind of felt like it was heading toward a place I didn't really like. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't a happy ending, but it wasn't. Uh, it was still kind of neat and cute, rather than I think it could have gone someplace really dark. It could have, and and it just felt kind of sloppy and weak toward the end. But it was still not bad. No, I, it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. All right, and our last film is uh, a pretty straightforward drama, I think. The Illusionist, out last year. I liked this movie. Mm. I liked it a lot. I had no expectations going in to this film. I really didn't know anything about it, but I was surprised at how much I liked it. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, the cinematography stood out. A lot of people were talking about that. Uh, Really distinct uh, filmmaking, I think. I think the reason for that is because the movie is set in turn-of-the-century Vienna, Mm -hmm. and I think they wanted to give it kind of the look of of turn-of-the-century news footage. Yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, washed-out colors, a lot of uh, dark scenes, and a lot of uh, camera flicker there. I mean, I think some people might say pretentious, but I think, again, given the setting and the story, it it kind of worked. Um, What's the film about? It's about a man played by Ed Norton. Um, His name is Eisenstein, and he determines early on um, in his life that he has a talent for magic. And um, as a young man, he falls in love with Jessica Biel's character. She is an extremely privileged 
woman and she's, you know, from a very wealthy family and she becomes engaged to another man. So they can't be together. It's your typical uh, star-crossed love and, you know, that uh, heartbreak is part of what propels him into this uh, nebulous life as a magician. Um, But uh, over time, he becomes so successful that his magic shows are so popular that the government starts seeing him as a threat. Paul Giamatti plays Chief Inspector Uhl, who is in charge um, of investigating Eisenstein and and figuring out what he's up to. I, Paul Giamatti is really great. He's probably the best part of anything he's in. Really, mm-hmm. I enjoy. He's him really in this great film. in this. And uh, the the bad guy, the uh, the fiance of Jessica Biel's character, who he was a great bad guy. Rufus Sewell. He was in Dark City. He's he's that kind of scary looking guy with the really blue eyes, mm. and he's the best villain he's a great villain yeah, i mean you hate him just watching him that's the thing but he's so charismatic you you kind of have to watch him because he's just so interesting you have to wait and see what he does next what did you think of uh, ed norton though as the star of the show he was you know I, I think ed norton is good in some things and not so good in others but i i was surprised he's good in this i mean he really had to be understated and and he had to be really repressed and uh, whether that's uh, him at all personally i think he did the the role very well in that respect yeah he did it he was he was great and uh, Ed Norton apparently did all of his magic tricks, or a lot of them himself. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, again, the magic's fun to watch, too, although, of course, filmmaking lets you get away with a little more than you normally would. <laughs> now, the other thing that re- I really liked about this film that I didn't expect was a kind of twist ending. You know, you, when you go into a movie like The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects, you kind of know from word of mouth that there's going to be a twist right, ending. you're kind of looking for it. But with this this particular one, I didn't know it was coming. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I think, hadn't heard the buzz about it or anything. Yeah, we must have been reading the wrong message boards because I usually spoil myself silly for any movie, especially if there's some kind of twist to it. But I didn't expect it, and so it was it was delightful. It was, and it was really well done. It wasn't um, the kind of twist where you scratch your head thinking, "Huh?" Yeah, the, the, that was totally implausible. There's no way that actually would have happened. I mean, of course, there is the uh, flashbacks that explain it all. But again, you know. It wasn't uh, it wasn't in your face. It, there wasn't all of this winking all the way through that it had happened. No, it was very well done, and it worked very well. So uh, let's hit our three picks, our Netflix picks here for the star ratings from Jen, starting with this film is not yet rated. Five. Five stars, really? Yeah, I just think it's a very important film to see. Yeah, if, can, if you're into movies. I can see that point. Uh, I think the Michael Moore approach was a little too heavy-handed for me, but again, you're right. It's something you should see. Uh, thank you for smoking. Three and a half. Three and a half stars. Uh, a good satire, but it could have been so much more. Yeah. And finally, The Illusionist. Four. Four stars. A cinematic treat and a pretty good story as well. Yeah, great. It was. It's great. It really is. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Jen. My pleasure. Now again, it's time for some melee. Amanda Fraser is a talented singer-songwriter from IAEA, now studying and rocking out at Chapman University in California. She grew up here, picking up a guitar for the first time as she attended Lutheran High School, and she hasn't stopped since. She performs to appreciative audiences across California when school's in session, and around the island when she's home for summer and winter breaks. She just turned 21. She's still reeling with inspiration after a trip through Europe last summer and is now working on her next EP. This song is off her last EP, released in 2005. Here's Amanda Fraser with You Got Me Good. You got me good. 
got my mind, got my attention. You got my heart, got my affection. You got everything that you were striving for. Now you're too busy doing your own thing. You kick me to the side of the road, but it's okay 'cause I can make it on my own. Go as far as to say I fell, to say I fell, I fell in love with the boy I used to know. The boy who loved everything about me, the boy who called me beautiful, but he calls me that no, no, no. You got me, oh, you got me good. Got me, oh, you got me so good. I don't mean to cause you drama, and I don't mean to be a problem, but I got feelings if you know what I mean. I'm not the one who's done the ditching, so please excuse me if I'm bitching. About my broken dreams, you got me. Oh, you got me good.、Yeah. You got me. Oh, you got me so good. Yeah. Oh, you drew the skies a little. To my surprise, the other side was not yours, and the painter was not permanent there. Just as if you've never been there before. You got me, oh, you got me good.、Yeah. You got me. Oh, you got me so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. La la la, ba 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 la la la. Ba 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 ba. That was "You Got Me Good" from Aya Girl and Lutheran High School grad Amanda Fraser. She's now studying and making music in Orange, California, hoping to release another EP soon. You can keep up with Amanda at her MySpace profile at myspace.com/slash/amandafraser. That's Fraser with a Z. And of course, I'll also have the link for you in the show notes at havaiup.com. You can even catch her live in a couple of months as she's got a gig booked at Cal Poly Pomona on May sixth. Just、uh, catch up with her online for all the details. And、uh, before we go, finally today, as I mentioned in my last show, Hawaii Up is going to mark its second birthday this month, and to celebrate, I'm going to be giving away more Hawaii Up T-shirts. 
Well, I know we just gave some away for our 50th episode, but uh, I just can't resist that idea of, uh, you know, someone else spotting the iPod silhouette hula dancer halfway around the planet. Uh, Although, of course, local listeners are eligible, too. And uh, as with all our past giveaways, the way to enter is, uh, well, you know, what I love the most about podcasting. All you got to do is contribute your voice, uh, literally, to the Hawaii Up conversation. Uh, so here's all you got to do. Call the Hawaii Up listener line at 808-356-0127. Tell us who you are and where you are and answer this simple question. If you could spend a day in one place in Hawaii, where would you go and why? Simple as that. So help Hawaii Up stumble clumsily into its third year on the pod waves. Just call 808-356-0127 and tell the world where in Hawaii you'd like to be right now. Of course, whether or not there's a prize, uh, I hope you'll always feel free to connect with me. If you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion, don't be shy. Send me an email to comments at HawaiiUp.com. Come to the website and post a comment at HawaiiUp.com. Or again, use that nifty listener line at 808-356-0127. As always, a big thank you goes out to the Super Trio Akamai Brain Collective for the Hawaii Up theme song, and the warmest mahalo goes out to you for letting me into your ears once again. Mahalama Pono, please take care everyone, and until next time, ahui ho! This podcast is a proud member of the Hawaii Association of Podcasters. To find other great Hawaii podcasts and to learn about podcasting in Hawaii, be sure and visit hawaiipodcasting.com. The Hawaii Association of Podcasters. Spreading aloha to the world. Four stars. Uh, cinema, cinema, cinema. <laughs> You should keep that in, put it at the end. Okay, I will.